welcome to News from the Torah. This is Leah Roney. Today is the 14th of November, 2023, the first month of the Hebrew month of Kislev, uh, what we call Rosh Chodesh. And uh, this is Leah Roney with you today on this Wednesday of the weekly portion of Toldot in which we read the story of our second forefather, Yitzchak. And I will say, just say that everything that happened to our forefathers is a sign of the things to come for the children, for us. And so reading the Torah portion is um, vital for understanding exactly what is going on in our own life. And this month of Kislev is so significant. It is the month of the beautiful holiday of Hanukkah, when we celebrate the victory of the Maccabim, the Hashmonians, over uh, Greeks, but also over the Greek culture in Israel. And I would like to tie all of this together to see how all of these ideas are playing out in the dramatic events happening in Israel today. We are, uh, we've been at war for over 40 days now. Our brave troops uh, in Gaza fighting the Hamas terrorists and with many skirmishes on our northern border with Lebanon. Uh, we're all counting days and hours before we know that there's going to be a second front in Lebanon against the terrorists of Hezbollah. And um, with over 350 troops in the army, over 200,000 refugees inside Israel. We are at war, and we all feel it here in Israel very acutely. You know, the world talks about Arab refugees, quote-unquote Palestinian refugees, the people of Gaza who are being displaced, but nobody really cares about the 200,000 Israeli refugees inside Israel, people who had to leave their home, who are staying in hotels and apartments, who have lost their jobs, who have lost their sustenance, um, traumatized children who are afraid to leave the apartments they're staying in. You know, I live uh, near Jerusalem. I drive into Jerusalem every single day. And I meet hundreds of families from southern Israel who had to leave their homes to uh, get to safety because their homes do not have uh, bomb shelters or because it's not safe, they don't feel safe. And some of these families have been staying in these apartments for over a month and a half. They still not have left home, not even to go to the neighborhood uh, playground. So with 200,000 refugees inside Israel and with over 350 troops uh, of reservists who are called up to fight this war, we are at war. Um, but this war is actually bringing out amazing, wonderful things in people, as hard as it is to say that. And it's only making us stronger. In Judaism, we have a rule. If you want to understand something, if you want to really, really understand the deep meaning of something, you have to go to the very beginning. You have to go to the root. You have to go to where it all starts. And this is how you understand what it is all about. The um, stories of our forefathers in these several weeks' Torah portions are the roots of the Jewish people. And today's Torah portion, Toldot, talks about Yitzchak, 
the second forefather, and among his many tribulations was having to deal with the Plishtim, the Philistines, the very Philistines after whom the Palestinians decided to name their nation. There's absolutely no ethnic uh, connection between the Philistines, who were a Greek nation, and the Palestinians, who are, were uh, nomads from Arabia, who came to Israel uh, over the past 100 years. But the Palestinians decided to take the name of the Philistines, the arch enemy of the Jewish people throughout the biblical era, from the time of our forefathers Avram and Yitzchak, and all the way through the time of King David and King Saul. And so um, the Philistines have been the arch enemies of the Jewish people for hundreds of years. And in this week's Torah portion, we're told that Yitzchak and Avram before him would dig wells throughout Israel to find water to make this country fertile, to be able to uh, grow crops and really cultivate this land. To take this piece of desert and to turn it into a garden, uh, what the Philistines would do is they would find the wells dug by uh, forefathers and they would either argue about whose wells they are and say these are our wells, or they would just fill up the wells with dirt back again. Now, this is 4,000 years ago, but this sounds exactly like what is happening today. When the Palestinians do one of two things, either they question the legitimacy of the Jewish presence in Israel, and they keep saying, this is our land, when in fact it's not, or they undermine all the amazing developments that Israelis have created to turn this piece of desert into an amazing garden of Eden that it is. I don't know if any of you have read Mark Twain's uh, memoirs from visiting uh, Palestine in 1865. And if you read for pages upon pages upon pages, Mark Twain talks about how this land is arid, deserted, cursed, where there are no people, you can walk for a whole day and not meet a soul. There are no animals, no trees, nothing grows here. Just a God-forsaken piece of land. And today, 150 years later, this country is blossoming. It produces fruit that is exported all over Europe. You know, my cousins uh, were Chabad emissaries in Siberia, in Russia. And when they would go to the store, they would buy Israeli potatoes. You know, when Israel would export potatoes to Russia, this is when you know that things are crazy. And Israel is exporting technology all over the world and exporting um, so much, making this world such a good place for everybody who will only be able to cooperate, really doing everything to make this country fertile, productive, and blessed. And the only thing the Palestinians know how to do is to take our wells, our figurative wells, and fill them up with dirt again. You know, in 2005, when Israel withdrew from the Gaza Strip, from Gush Katif, the Israeli agricultural workers, the farmers of Israel, they transferred their greenhouses to the Palestinians who actually used to work there. Many of the Palestinians of Gaza 
worked inside the greenhouses and farms uh, cultivating the greens that Israeli farmers would grow in Gaza. And within six months, six months, all of the agriculture that had been created by the Jews was gone. The tomatoes died, the lettuce died, the, tr the flowers died, the peppers died, nothing. There was, within six months, there was nothing left of a huge agricultural industry that had been built in the Jewish um, neighborhoods and communities of the Gaza Strip in Gush Katif. So when Gush Katif fed half Europe with red peppers, within six months, there was not a pepper to be found in all the farms and greenhouses. Why? Because some people have a black thumb and they take the technologies, the wells, the wealth that is created by others and they strangle it with their energy, just with their energy even. And this is exactly, unfortunately, what is happening today. Now, the Arabs of Israel are enjoying, the Arab citizens of the state of Israel, are enjoying the best, most prosperous life, the longest lifespan, the highest levels of literacy and education of any Arabs in the world, okay? They have more freedoms than any Arabs in the world. And the fact is that the Arabs of the West Bank and the Gaza Strip were having, are having a pretty good life. You know, come visit us here. Come out to the quote-unquote West Bank and you will see Audis and BMWs and Mercedes and luxury cars by the hundreds, literally by the hundreds. You will see gorgeous sprawling villas built all over the quote-unquote West Bank. And if you look online, you can find some pretty darn luxurious pictures of the Gaza Strip. Of course, not what the mainstream media shows you, but if the Palestinians would have given up their wish to kill off Israelis, they could have prospered even more. And by the way, all of this prosperity is created on the back of Israeli ingenuity. It's Israel who brought this energy, this abilities, this capabilities, this wealth, this blessing to this land, and the Arabs are living off of it. And you know what? We're really happy. It's not taking anything away from us, and if they want to enjoy it and live in peace, more power to them. And if the Arabs of the West Bank and Gaza would have chosen to live in peace in Israel, they would have been so, so prosperous because there's so much energy and wealth and blessing in this land. We're happy to share with people who are willing to live in peace with us. But instead of coming to these wells that Yitzhak dug for himself and for his family and for his flocks, what the Philistines did is they came and said, no, if you're going to have a well, we're going to fill up with this dirt. You know, we're not going to get any, but you're not going to get any too. And unfortunately, unfortunately, for the past hundred years, this has been the attitude of the Arabs, in, um, of the many Arab leaders, and certainly of the Palestinian national movement. Now, in 1947, and actually 1937, 
when the Peel Commission in 1937 and the United Nations in 1947 created um, uh, a solution that would divide the land of Israel into two states, the Jews said yes, but the Palestinians said no, we're not going to take a state if it means a state for the Jews. If you're going to have a well, we're not going to take it. We cannot enjoy anything together with you. So the same story is actually happening, not for 100 years, but for 4,000 years. The Palestinians blamed after the Philistines are continuing the same culture of, I will not enjoy water, I will not enjoy prosperity, I will not grow anything if it means sharing with the Jews. And that is so unfortunate. But you know what? It's their problem. If this is their choice, it is their problem because the Jewish people are not going anywhere. The Jewish people are not leaving the land of Israel. And if anything, actually, the events of the past uh, few weeks have made us so much stronger. So if we go back to the roots of everything, to the roots of the Jewish people, in the beginning of the book of Exodus, when the Jewish people are in the land of Egypt, the Pharaoh says, no, we need to kill up the Jews so that they don't become more and stronger. And the Torah says, you know what? They are becoming more and stronger because you're trying to eradicate them. And this is a rule that anti-Semites everywhere just don't understand. The more you try to hurt the Jews, the bigger and stronger they become. And this is why every single one of Jewish holidays is about they tried to kill us, God saved us, we won, let's go eat. Every single one of Jewish holidays has this theme. And we're seeing this today. In the past few weeks, I'm seeing a trend on Facebook and Twitter where many secular Israelis, including artists and writers and TV personalities and technology gurus, are saying the same thing, that until now, we were afraid to say that we are Jews. Until now, we had disdain for Judaism. Until now, we hated everything having to do with Judaism. As Omar Barak, an Israeli um, screenwriter and author, wrote, I never wanted to be the child in a hat with his hands raised from the picture from the Holocaust. That child in a hat with his hands raised was an anathema to me. So I never said I'm a Jew because for me, a Jew is that child from that iconic picture of the Holocaust. I'm an Israeli. I'm cosmopolitan. I'm the citizen of the world. I'm connected to the global village. I buy things across from around the world and I get them to my doorstep. So many Israelis took out a foreign passport. Israelis travel all over the world, bring people from all over the world to their places, celebrate technology, and just in general see themselves as the citizens of the world. And actually, not mentioning ever that they're Jews. Omar Barak writes that he never, ever said, I am a Jew, because in his mind, that was just too tragic, too far, too primitive, just had no meaning for him. And after the events of Simchat Torah, after the events of October 7th, 
when Hamas terrorists came into Israel and they were looking for Jews. They didn't care what these Jews believed. They didn't care about these Jews' identity. If you're a Jew, you were a victim. If you're a Jew, you were a target. And as one Hamas terrorist called his parents to say, I killed 10 Jews. This is what they were looking for. So this really shook up the Israeli society and more and more people are writing on Facebook and Twitter, I never ever identified as a Jew until now. More and more Israelis, as a result of this terrible tragedy, are rediscovering, reconnecting to their Jewish roots, and they're saying, I am a Jew. Omar Barak writes in his uh, Facebook post that he never ever lit Shabbat candles in his life until a week ago when, when he wanted to do something as a Jew, he suggested for the first time in his life to his kids to light Shabbat candles. And he didn't even know what blessing you make over the Shabbat candles, so his kids made the Hanukkah candle blessing, although it has nothing to do with Shabbat. But that's the blessing that they knew. And that was a way for them to express their Jewishness. And more and more Israelis are connecting to their Jewishness because of the tragic events of October 7th, because of Hamas's attempt to kill so many Jews, because of this hate that wants to eradicate Judaism and Jews. You cannot do that. You cannot eradicate Jews. You cannot eradicate Judaism. There have been civilizations upon civilizations. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Christians of the Middle Ages, the Nazis, they've all tried and they've all failed. So you think Hamas, you can eradicate Jews and Judaism? Think again. Actually, when you do that, when you attack Jews, they become stronger and more Jewish. I read somewhere this week that the sales of Magen David necklaces are going through the roof around the world because people want to wear their pride. And they buy more and more Magen David, Star of David necklaces to wear. So you cannot eradicate Judaism. It just doesn't work. And this brings us as to the holiday of Hanukkah, to the month of Kislev that we're in. Look, the story of Hanukkah is not only about the Greek culture, but it's about how the Greek culture took over the Jewish culture. During the Hellenistic period, most of the Jews, almost all of the Jews in the land of Israel, adopted Hellenism, adopted the Greek culture, adopted the philosophy and the sports, and this cosmopolitan view that we are all one, and they abandoned their Judaism for the Greek ways. And the only people who were left were a small group of the Maccabees who were uh, fanatical, who wanted to stick to their Judaism, who were seen as primitive. And in the end, this small group of Jews who were dedicated to their Judaism were able to overthrow the Greek power, the Greek political power, but also the Greek way of life, and return 
the uh, Hellenist Jews back to their Jewish heritage and reestablish the centrality of the temple, the centrality of the Jewish religion and Jewish philosophy and Jewish thinking, which are all represented by the minarab, by the by the candles, because the candles are light, and light in Judaism is always wisdom. So from a small group of people who held on to the Jewish outlook, the Jewish worldview, the Jewish wisdom, miraculously the Jewish people, all of the Jewish people came back, and this is reflected in the miracle of the menorah of the eight um, days of um, candle lighting. There was enough oil for only one night, for only one candle, but that little flask of oil lasted for eight days. And there is a metaphor here. A small group of people who held on to the Jewish views, the Jewish wisdom, miraculously in the end were able to light up everybody with their ideas. And this really reminds me of what's happening today because the um, attitudes that we've been hearing for the past uh, maybe decade and a half in Israel are these attitudes of, of uh, you know, the Greek, the Western culture. We're not really Jews. We don't want to be Jews. We want to be like everybody else. We want to embrace the Western culture. We want to embrace the Western philosophy. We want to embrace Western technology. We want to take out foreign passports. We are just like everybody else. And the events of these past two months and the war that we're fighting is bringing people back to their Jewish roots. And I'm sure there'll be many, many more people lighting Hanukkah candles in three weeks when Hanukkah comes around and seeing much more significance in that than there have ever been in recent years. And so I think for us, it's a challenge to see the silver lining with so many Israelis killed, over 1,200 Israelis killed in the attack, with over 45 soldiers who have given their lives to defend the Jewish people since the start of the ground invasion, with rockets pouring over Israeli cities, and the possibility of another front starting with Hezbollah, which will be more scary, um, more dangerous with more rockets targeting Israeli cities, and it's not going to look pretty probably. But with all of that, there's a silver lining. And the silver lining is that we are discovering who we are. We are discovering our fighting spirit. And you cannot stand up to the Jewish fighting spirit. Once we have our fighting spirit, once we understand who we are, once we connect back to our roots and our identity, Nobody can hurt us. Nobody. Not Hamas, not Hezbollah, not Iran. Nobody. And this is something we lost in the past several years, and especially in this past year with all the infighting. And thankfully, despite the tragedy, because of the tragedy, as a result of the tragedy, with all the pain, we have rediscovered who we are and our roots. We have discovered our connection to each other, our love for each other, our willingness to help each other. I have to tell you that there is such an outpouring of mutual assistance for soldiers, for families of soldiers, for families that have been displaced 
from all over Israel. You know, you look at pictures of Gazans who had to leave their home, and you see them fighting for a bowl of soup that is poured from huge vats in the street. It's so degrading to the people. People are not being taken care of. Uh, they live in tents. There's really nobody taking care of Gazan refugees, and they look very, very, um, very, very poor and obviously very, very wretched. Now, the 200,000 refugees in Israel, as I said, and it's not easy for them, but you cannot even compare the experience because the Israeli government, unlike Hamas, the Israeli government takes care of its own. And for the families from Zderot and from the communities around Gaza, the government created hotel programs with Pakistan hotels. And the people who don't want or cannot stay in a hotel or want to stay with a different arrangement, the government gives money so people can rent places and, and support themselves. And there are other towns that are not supported by the government, like Ofakim and Nitzivot, and people who love these places are being assisted by communities. For example, just this past Saturday night, our organization held a bar mitzvah for a boy from Nitzivot, a, uh, a boy from a... Um, from a down in the select family um, who is staying in an apartment in Jerusalem that it got for free from a Jew from um, outside of Israel who is for whom it's a holiday apartment and over 200 holiday apartments of Jews from around the world that I know more and the numbers probably bigger is currently rented free of charge to families from Israel. Just think about it. People taking their holiday apartments that are worth millions of dollars and they're giving this million, two million dollar apartments to people they don't know to live in for free because of the war. More than that, just this past week I heard a story of a woman who called to offer her apartment to a family from Nitziva. And when she was asked, is this a spare apartment? How come you're not there? She says, no, I'm moving in with my brother in a different neighborhood in Jerusalem to vacate this apartment and give it to another family. Just think about it. Somebody moving out of their home to make their home available for another family. Where else do you see that? And this is why you don't hear about the Israeli refugee crisis. Because as Jews, we take care of our own. We give out food packages. Our organization is giving out close to a thousand food packages Every single week, aware small organizations, there are hundreds of thousands of food packages being given out, hundreds of thousands of hot meals, thousands of free apartments. And this is before the government even stepped in. This has nothing to do with the government. It's just people, organizations, and private individuals chipping in to help each other. You don't have this in Gaza. I'm not seeing Gazans hosting each other in their homes. But this is who we are. We take care of our own. We are family. And we forgot that family experience. We forgot this family connection. And now, thankfully, we rediscovered it. So I very much hope that you are finding inspiration in these stories. And I very much hope that you can look into your heart wherever you are in the world and to see how you can chip into this effort, how you can connect to your Jewish identity and how you can connect to this um, effort to help our 
a larger Jewish family. Maybe you can do a good deed for the merit of soldiers in Gaza. Maybe you can say a prayer. Maybe you can sell some psalms. Something, some positive energy that you can invest to send good vibes to the soldiers fighting in Gaza so they can come back victorious. And maybe you can do something to assist the effort to help our soldiers in Gaza or to help the evacuated families, um, the Jewish refugees. It doesn't have to be a big donation, but whatever donation you can give is amazing and will be put to good use by a good organization. So I suggest that we make this real, we make this personal, we make this tangible, we'll do things to reconnect both to our identity and to our bigger Jewish family, and we make it real. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that this was inspirational for you. I hope that this was practical for you. Um, and I also want to hear from you. So please send me your ideas and feedback. Uh, things you want to hear about, questions that you have about what is going on in Israel, questions that you may have on the Torah portion. I want to hear from you. Uh, my um, email appears next to the description of this podcast. Just click on the link and you will be taken to my inbox. And so I hope you have an amazing week, an amazing month of Kislev. And I am signing off. Leah Aroni with news from the Torah. Bye-bye now.